0: what a great time of worship man I really enjoyed that I was having a little trouble waking up this morning I think I got too much sleep you ever get that where you're like I, I sometimes I just get too much sleep and I can't wake up well then just worshiping man the Lord woke me up and that was good so I uh, hope you're there with me uh, we're continuing our study in first and second Samuel and we're in first Samuel chapter 12 and as I prepared for this this text led me to think about to me one of the most one of the scariest places to be in life spiritually what what would you might think in your own mind what is one of the scariest places to be in life and i'm not talking about on halloween like at the haunted house i'm talking about spiritually for me one of the most scariest places to be is in sin but getting away with it in sin but not feeling the sting of any of the consequences yet feeling like man This is actually good, you know, I'm kind of enjoying this. Um, You know, kind of my mind goes to Romans where it says, you know, God gave them over to their sin. It's just like, oh, Lord, don't ever do that with me. But that's what we see going on in Israel as we come to chapter 12. And we see uh, where they are in chapter 12. They are continuing where we picked up, left, left off last week. Let me read chapter 12, 1 through 5 and, and see where Samuel goes. And we're going to kind of look at one of his sermons today, if you will. I kind of kept thinking of it like we're looking at Samuel's sermon. And it says in 12, 1 through 5, it says, And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I've obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and I've made a king over you. Here, you got what you asked for. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my youth until this day. We've been seeing this in, in, the, in the book of Samuel from his childhood on. Verse 3, here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken. Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I'll restore it to you. I mean, he's basically going through what all the others were doing, and he's saying, I hadn't done any of that. And they said, you have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand and he said to them the lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand and they said he is witness so let's pause there and think what in the world is samuel doing what's going on why is he doing this as I looked at it, I thought about it. It seems like Samuel has making, is making it real clear. My days are over. I'm, it seems kind of like a farewell speech or something. But he's saying, look, I want you to tell me right now. Have I sinned against you? And he brought them into it. They all said, no. And he says, okay, good. Just wanted to make that clear. And God is witness that I have not sinned against you. I have not brought any of the wrath of God upon you, I am innocent. Is it, you kind of feel, what, he, what is he doing here? I feel like he's kind of going, let me wash my hands of what's about to happen. Let's be clear that what's about to go down ain't my fault. That's what I feel like he's doing. He's like, you've spoken and you've said it yourself. God is my witness. That the consequences that are about to come down on your head, it's not because of my sin. It's not because of what I've done. Why is he saying this? Because he knows Israel is in that scary place. Where did we leave off last, last chapter? Chapter 11. They said, give us a king. And God said, that is rejection of me as your God. And they said, we don't care. Give us a king like all the other nations. We want a guy that's tall and strong and gives us confidence that he can fight our battles for us. And God says, "That's what do you think I'm doing? And they said, we don't want you. We want something else. We want our God. We want our king. And he said, do you realize if you do that, he's going to take and take and take and enslave you and oppress you. And it's going to be bad. And they said, we want our king. And he said, okay, here. he gives them Saul. And what happens? Everything that they longed for would happen. It happened. King Saul rallies the troops, rallies the people, unifies them as one people. And they conquer the Philistines, the, the enemy, the snake, who had come up to challenge them. And they are rejoicing. And so the chapter ends... With Israel rejoicing in their sin. And they're thrilled about it because they're getting everything they wanted. See, there's peace in the land. We defeated our enemies. We knew we were right. We wanted a king and we defeated the enemies and we're good. And Samuel is going not so fast. Maybe that's where you are today as, you, as the Lord brought you here. Only you can probably answer this. Well, maybe some people close to you can answer it too. But you need to answer in your own heart. Am I in a place where I am rejoicing in my sin? Because none of the circumstances are crashing down on me yet. I'm not facing any of the consequences. I'm getting away with it. In fact, it seems to be like it's working and life is better now that I'm sinning. Now that I am in that place that I've always thought, this is what I really want and I don't care. I'm going to do it and it's going good. Maybe you've made work your God and it's paying off because you're having the best year ever. Or maybe students, you've, you've said, you know what, I'm tired of being the outsider. I'm going to embrace, I'm going to make some bad decisions, I'm going to run with the wrong crowd, and I'm going to just do it, and I don't care. And it feels good because I'm in the in crowd now, and nobody's nothing, nothing bad's happened. Or maybe you know you've become obsessed with something in life. Whatever it may be, just fill in the blank, but you know it's gotten out of whack and it's become too important in your life and your heart, and you've just run with it, and, and so far, no problem. Whether we make work our king, or friendship our king, or some object or comfort or Or pleasure our king. There's often a time where we think it's all good because we aren't facing any consequences. There's often this season of, I'm getting away with it. And so we're rejoicing in our sin. This is where we need to go today. We need to go to this text and be warned. Samuel continues in verse 6. And he continues on through... ...through eight, six through eight. And he says, and Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness. God is watching. The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron... ...and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. God is watching. Who is God? God is the one who appointed Moses and Aaron... And brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. The God who saved your fathers and made you a people is watching you. Verse 7. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he has performed for you and your fathers. Now, just hang out for a minute and let me talk about all the great deeds the Lord has done for you. But when Jacob, Israel, when, when Israel went into Egypt and was enslaved and oppressed, and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? The Lord sent Moses and Aaron. Who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. What is Samuel doing there? Samuel is reminding them that God is watching you as you rejoice in your sin. And then he describes them to them, reminds them the kind of God we're talking about. This is the God who saved you. You were in bondage to your sin. You were oppressed because of your sin. You were in Egypt and you were oppressed. And when you finally realized the sting, the consequences, the circumstances, when you finally were humbled and you turned to God and you said, Lord, help us, what did he do? He saved you. He delivered you. He raised up Moses and Aaron and he sent them to save you out of your Oppression. This is the God who's watching you as you revel in your sin. Verse 6, the Lord is witness. Verse 7, consider all his righteous deeds. Think about how good God has been to you. Think about the fact that that God is watching you revel in your rebellion against him. He continues... In verse 9, all the way down to verse 11, he says, but, but they forgot the Lord their God. They rejected him again. And so what happened? He sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines. And into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And then what did they do? Circumstances came crashing in. They cried out to the Lord and said, we've sinned. Because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth, But now deliver us, save us, O Lord, out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel. Talking about himself. And delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. So he's working through your Bible from Genesis to Judges. And he says repeatedly, God saved you, Moses and Aaron. And now he works through the Judges. You got in bondage again. You were enslaved again. You got yourself in trouble again. And when you felt the sting of your circumstances, what did you do? You go, oh, Lord, save me. And then what did the Lord do? He graciously saved you. He sent the Judges. The last of which was Samuel, the one speaking. And so he's reminding them, God is watching you in your sin. He's reminding them how gracious this God is. And how God has been gracious to them over and over and over. And reminds them of all the great things that he has done for them. Consider the great deeds of righteousness that God has done towards you as you sin against him. ...that there are always, he reminds them, there are always consequences. This is the cycle of sin. And even though you think you're getting away with it... ...even though you think that there are no consequences... ...there will be consequences. Though they may be delayed for a season... ...because God is gracious. I mean, think about what just happened in chapter 11. They said, give us a king. We don't want you to be our king... The Philistines came crashing down, ready to kill him, and, and he says, all right, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to give you a king just to get rid of the Philistines. But you need to understand this is a rejection of me. And they're rejoicing. And that's exactly where he goes. He applies it to them. He gives them this big picture, and then he brings the good sermon. As every sermon does, he brings it to stomp on their toes in particular. Verse 12, and when you saw that Naash, the snake, the king of the Ammonites, is what we looked at last week, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king will reign over us. We need a king. When the Lord your God was your king. What an affront. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen. For whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Behold your king. So he's calling them out for their sin. Their sin of rejecting God in the midst of their reveling and rejoicing and thinking they're getting away with it. Then he gives them a promise and a warning. Verse 14. If now you have your king, you got what you wanted, I've been gracious to you, I defeated your enemies, behold your king. Now listen, verse 14, now if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, even though you've done all this, even though I told you this is rejection, even though if you will start now and just obey and fear the Lord and obey the Lord and serve him and, and, and obey his voice and not rebel, rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and this king that you've demanded who reigns over you, if, if you will both follow the Lord your God, it'll still be well with you. More grace. I'm not going to hold this against you just start fresh today and start going forward despite all the past, all the mistakes, all the sin, all the wrath that you deserve, despite all that, just start clean today. Just start obeying me today and this king that you demanded. If you and the king will just trust and obey me, it'll go well with you. But if not, I'm warning you, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but you rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. You will pay a high price for opposing the mighty hand of God. So start obeying the Lord now. Today is the day of repentance. So in summary, what we see is the Israelites rejoicing in their sin... They're feeling good about their sinful decisions. They think they're getting away with it. They're like, man, I I don't know. This is good. And then the Word of God. Samuel represents the Word of God. Samuel represents your Bible. As you are reveling in your sin and you open your Bible, this is what the Word of God does to you. The Word of God opens your eyes to see your sin as you are reveling in your sin and thinking it's not so bad. And the word of God reminds them that God is watching you. And who is God? The one who is radically gracious to you and has done all these great deeds to save you, to restore you, to to put you back in, in a good place as you cried out to him when you felt the sting of the consequences and how you have done this over and over and over again. And the Word of God reminds them of all the great things that God has done. And the Word of God says, repent while you can. Repent now before it gets really ugly. That's what the Word of God does in our life. That's what the Bible, the Spirit of God, takes the Word of God and applies it to us. And it's like a mirror, the Scripture says. The Word of God is like a mirror and, it's, and I, I think it's like one of those mirrors that everyone hates. You know what mirror I'm talking about? It's about this big, and it's round, and it's got lights around it, and it magnifies. And it's just like, oh, that's nasty. You can see your pores, and you're like, oh, my goodness, why would they ever invent that? It just shows every nasty thing I didn't even know was on my face. I've been walking around with that on my face. Get that thing away from me. And that's that's what we tend to do with the Bible. We open the Bible and it says, look at all the nastiness that's in your heart. And your your response is to be like, I I don't like that book. I don't like opening that and seeing the nastiness of my heart. But we desperately need it. We desperately need, it says, who looks into the mirror and says, yeah, no adjustments necessary. If any of you looks into one of those round mirrors and said, I like what I see, you've got problems. (laughs) I mean, when we look into the scriptures and we see the ugliness of our sin, we should say, "I, I, I need to make some adjustments here. I need to fix this. I can't fix this, but, you know, there's some things I can fix and I need to work on those. That's the gift from God. The word of God is a gift that wakens us, that shines a light on our sin when we're rejoicing and thinking we're getting away with it, when we're treating our spouse like dirt, when we're we're doing these things and thinking it's not, uh, and you open your Bible and it's like, oh my gosh. In verse 16, Verse 16 through 18, he continues. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. I want you to see God, he says. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon Yahweh that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of Yahweh in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Samuel says, you need to understand you are sinning against a holy, powerful God. God. You need to be very afraid. That's not popular today. We like to think that God is the man upstairs and he's just going to give us our best life now. That's not the God of the Bible. Your best life comes later. Your best life in this earth that you can have is with Christ. But it comes in submission to this fiery holy God. Not because he's given you everything you ever wanted in life. And so God is is the one that you are sinning against, that I am sinning against when I'm holding a grudge and I'm delighting in it because it feels so good, like I'm punishing them. You are disobeying God Almighty when you continue to sin and you revel in sin. And he says, I want you to see that when you chose this king, you you were offending this God who at will sends down lightning and thunder and and the fear of God, a healthy reverential respect is what that fear is. It's a healthy reverential respect. It's it's like if you have a good human father and you're a child in disobedience and the, the dad just turns on that that voice like son and you're like whoop okay gotcha that's what he's doing he's saying listen don't trifle with this god if you think about when they got the ten commandments at the mountain and he just saved them out of egypt what was that scene It was like this. It was scary. Thunder and lightning and the presence of God and fire was on the mountain. The people were like, whoa, this is a holy God. We need, I'm not going going close to that God. We need an intercessor. And God graciously gave them Moses, who was the first intercessor that we start seeing the need of. A sinful people need an intercessor to go before a holy God. And so how did they respond when they realized their sin is against that holy God and the fear of God, the healthy, reverential respect that is rightly due God come upon them? First Samuel 12, 19, and all the people said to Samuel, they say to their intercessor, to Samuel, pray for your servants. You hear the humble, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Go to God for us. That we may not die. That's a good response. For we have added to all of our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. They repented and they turned to their mediator and said, Would you please intercede on our behalf before a holy God that we not be destroyed? That's exactly what we should do as we open the mirror of God's word and it shows us our sin. We should run to our intercessor who is Jesus. Samuel prefigures Jesus for us. The scriptures uses Samuel and then Uh, Saul and then David to contrast ultimately we're looking for a king that God would send the anointed one and the old testament ends with well where is he and the new testament opens with here he is his name is Jesus and he died on the cross he's king who emptied himself of all of his glory as we read in Philippians and he emptied himself of all of his glory that he might take upon himself the wrath that I deserved for that sin that I'm reveling in he said I'll take the punishment And give him my righteousness. Declare him royalty. That's what Jesus does for you. That's what he did on the cross. He rose from the grave, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he promised, I'm coming back. But in the meantime, spread this good news that you can be declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I come back, it's too late. So turn to your intercessor. Turn to Christ like they turned to Samuel and say, would you pray to God on my behalf? Would you ask him not to hold that against me? And he will graciously give you credit for Jesus' righteousness and perfections despite the fact that you've been reveling in your sin. Consider the great deeds that God has done for you As you revel in your sin against him. Samuel's response gives us a glimpse into his grace. And verse 20 and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. What? You have done all this evil, yet... Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Just turn now. Don't think that it's too late. Don't think, oh, no, I've done too much wrong. God will never forgive me. He says, stop all that. Just turn right now and start serving the Lord with all your heart. Combat the lies. Start letting the Word of God re reprogram your mind and combat all the lies. What do you mean? Look at 21. Do not turn aside after these empty things that cannot profit or deliver for they are empty this king isn't what you really wanted you always needed and wanted god but you just keep thinking it's in the king you just keep thinking it's in the spouse you don't have or in the job if i just get this level of success it's going to be all that i ever wanted or if i just had this thing as you're obsessed with it if i just had this Or if I just had these friends, this king, if I just serve that king, it'll deliver all that my heart desires when all along it's God the whole time. And he says, if you just turn away right now, it's okay. Just turn today. Those things will never profit you. They're always going to leave you empty. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people For his great name's sake. Why? Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Because he wants to do this. Moreover, as for me, the intercessor says, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. God would consider it sin for Samuel to stop praying for these wicked people. Why? Because it pleases him to gather a people unto himself. Are you hearing the extraordinary, radical grace and mercy that God has for you? Don't let your sin cause you to keep running from him, saying he'll never forgive me. It pleases him to forgive you. It brings him joy. He says, I love to restore you and make you my people. Verse 24, this is the verse you should be memorizing right now. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. There's your fuel, that's rocket fuel for motivation for repentance. Is remembering how much he loves you, what great things he has done for you. Run to him, leap into his arms. He loves to restore. But if you still do wickedly, you shall surely be swept away, both you and your king. God calls you to repentance today. This is why it is so important that you have a regular time where you are prayerfully reading God's word. This is what keeps your heart on track. This is what keeps your mind on track. This is what combats the lies and continually. You want to do this regularly, daily, little small microcosms of this. Repentance and returning, repentance and returning, returning. When that Bible stays on the shelf, your heart grows cold and it's so easy to get off track. Get back in the word of God. God is pleased to save you from your sin. Run to Jesus. No matter what you've done in the past, run to Jesus and embrace him. Thank him for all the great things. He says, I will clean you up. I will forgive you. I will restore you. All the heavenly blessings, all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places are your inheritance. I declare you righteous. I don't hold that against you. When I look at you, I see the perfections of Christ covered you. What a glorious God he is. Run to him today. Get out of the track. Don't revel in sin. Another minute. Father God, we ask for the grace that you are so happy to give, the grace to repent. Oh Lord, that you would restore us, that you would turn us from our sin and give us the gift of holiness. Thank you for reminding us that our sin is against a holy God and it would be right for you to just rain thunder and lightning on our heads right now, but you are so gracious to find joy, that it pleases you to restore us, Lord. Help everyone here today to dwell on the great deeds that you have done for us, your salvation, your your restoration over and over and over in our lives that we might run to Jesus to do it once again. Help us to turn from our wicked ways and to revel in your grace. And all of this is made possible by our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.